Welcome to Beyond Medicine. My name is Rami Webby. I'm the host of the podcast. I'm a physician with a particular interest in healthcare innovation, building a better healthcare experience, and overall health and well-being. In this podcast, we bring you inspiring leaders from across the medical landscape to help us build a better medicine and lead a better life. We hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. As you all have maybe noticed, we're taking a new direction with the podcast where we're focusing more on healthcare leaders, innovators, and entrepreneurs and trying to create a better healthcare experience or at least create some conversation around that. So for that reason, we have recently chose to partner with Podium or Podium.com, which is an all-in-one platform that makes interactions easy for your business or for your brand. They are making it easy to get reviews easy to schedule appointments, and easy to receive payments for your practice or your business. This is revolutionary, guys. Think about the older patient, 60 or 70 years old, maybe older than that, who doesn't really have all the apps downloaded on their phone or know how to use technology to the same degree that some of us younger folks might. Podium is solving this problem. They're making it so that they can interact with you and your business through text messages. And you have a beautiful portal all in one place that makes it easy and simple to interact back and interact at mass. So there's templates, there's ways to send for payments, there's ways to ask for reviews, which automatically get uploaded to Google. It's an amazing platform. I have it now on our website at beyondmedicinepod.com. A little icon pops up. You put in your phone number. We get our own business phone number as well. And I think this is solving a huge problem and creating a much better experience for your patients. Check it out at podium.com slash beyond. You can sign up for free if you go to that site and try out the service. Once again, that's podium.com slash beyond. Welcome, everybody. I'm with Dr. Isabel Vandekeer, founder and CEO at Immersive Rehab, a VR rehab company, one of the first of its kind. Dr. Isabel is also a TEDx speaker. Uh, and Dr. Isabel, welcome. I'm very excited for this conversation today. How are you doing? Good, good. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks for the invite to join the podcast. So. Uh, excited to see and to see where our conversation goes as well. So. Yeah, I think the, I think we have a lot of things to geek out on. Uh, I geek out on a lot of VR and AR and especially in this space, it's so innovative and it's so, you know, evolving and exciting. And uh, I think you're in a really exciting space and you have a really exciting story from what I've read. Um, I know that there uh, you had an incident which led to you uh, starting this company. So I'd like to kind of dive into your history and your background. So I know you're a PhD in biomedical engineering, so you had a great background. What happened in 2010 that led you to start this company? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I was just working in an office, um, I mean, I've worked in very other, like very dangerous labs and so on, chemical labs, and nothing ever happens. I was just working in an office on my computer and basically a big um, lamp construction came down from the ceiling. And um, so, yeah, basically fell on my head, my neck. And um, so I was, I was, I had a head injury, neck injury and severe vertigo issues because of the accident. Um, and so I went through a long rehab period myself, essentially to, to get back to um, to high, how I am today, and 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 I had really yeah very few mobility. I had also partly because of the severe uh, vertigo issues because of the accident. Um, so I was basically yeah just stuck in bed in between rehab sessions um, and 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 hospital appointments. And uh, and initially I had a lot of access to rehab, but then gradually kind of it reduced. Um, uh, a bit, but I was not mobile enough to do anything on my own. So I was just stuck in my bed waiting for people to come by to help me or to for the doctor or the, the therapist to come by or, or, or people to, to bring me there. So, um, so yeah, I went through basically all the, I guess the motions that if you have a, if you have to go through rehab, how, how severe or not severe it might be, it is a very demotivating activity to go through. It's also very isolating, especially if you lose your mobility. Um, 
and that's really where everything got started is is not initially obviously initially i was very much focused on my own rehab uh, but then because of the lack of i guess engagement as well and the lack of feedback that i got from understanding how i was progressing in my rehab even though for the physio or the therapist it might have been more um yeah evident in how i was progressing for me it wasn't and because i was still not mobile i was still not walking on my own i was having over time i was walking with a stick etc and so so having not that feedback and that's really how the idea got started how can we make it more engaging how can we make it more informative for the patient themselves as well so they can get a better feel of why we're doing it, how we're progressing from one week to the next. And I mean, I have a background in, in medical devices um, and hardware, so impl medical implants. So initially really the, the I was looking into how many, is there any other type of hardware device that we could develop um, to actually tackle this? Um, and then it took a couple of years and then I, I, I started, um, I, I used VR again after, um, after a long time, I had used it when I end of the nineties, and so so after I guess fifteen years, I had uh, more than fifteen years. I tried it again, and then I was like, okay, this is really amazing now because of what you can do with it, especially if you have if you have, especially the, so it's a fully immersive VR, um, especially if you have like uh, mobility issues, etc., and you could basically recreate recreate whatever you want within the environment about around functional movements and so on as well and give feedback to patients uh, which i thought was very very um and have that challenging motivating aspect as well so um, interesting yeah. so I, I mean i mean number one uh, I, I mean i can't even imagine what it would be like to go through something like that i did i did used to actually worked a lot um in medicine in the rehab floors and inpatient rehab floors uh because when I was a medical student, my main interest mm. was uh, actually physical medicine and rehab. So mm. I had a lot of exposure to that. So I worked with, um, I still remember uh, a 14 year old boy who had a hockey injury, who was quadriplegic. Uh, uh, and, um, th th you know, I, I, I remember the devastation that goes on in, in mm -hmm. rehab. And it was, you know, it's a very touching field. It's a part of medicine that still has a very big part of my heart. And, um, you know, there's, there's, you, you, the impact that you can have on people's lives is unlike anything I've ever seen in medicine. Nothing mm -hmm. comes close in my opinion. Um, yeah. so like mm -hmm. I have a lot of respects for PTs and LTs and, um, people that are, uh, helping patients in that way. And, uh, yeah. you mentioned Absolutely. something. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, one more thing, you mentioned something in a previous video, which was mm -hmm. you were focused on you are patient outcome oriented, mm -mm. which is a, such yeah. a beautiful word, such a beautiful like summary of what everything in medicine should be, should be, mm -hmm. you know, we really should be focusing on outcomes. And when I, when, when I heard you say that, I was like, all right, like I, she gets it. Yeah, I, I like her already <laughs> because it's such a difficult thing to come. Like mm. we go, we go through the motions most of the time. We go in, we do these visits, we try to help people based on what we think we're supposed to be doing. Sorry. But we don't figure out, we don't think about what, like, what is the, what are we really doing here? Is this effective? Are we really asking the question of, is this effective and is it working? Mm -mm. And if it's not working, how are we going to make it work? And I, I can imagine going through an experience that you've been through. It sounds like that's what was going through your mind. Like what, it just mm -hmm. wasn't effective for you. You had no way to track your progress. You weren't seeing the benefits. And so that sparked your interest along with you already having the background to be the perfect person to do this, mm -hmm. go out and start a VR company. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, I'm in it as a patient. So obviously I am still a patient once in a while myself. I still go to the physio when I need it. Um, uh, so, so I, I mean, I, I feel it still every day as well because of chronic pain that I have because of the neck injury. and yeah and that's the core of the company is to improve patient outcomes because i mean over time obviously it was effective for me but the in the instant my, the going through rehab obviously because obviously i otherwise i would not be, not be here i was obviously the thing is i was very motivated to get back to how i was today and if you're not that then no matter what they do in rehab uh, i mean if you don't have a very motivating program it, it is very hard to go through and it won't be effective then when you go through it mm -hmm. um 
as well. So, so yeah, patient outcomes are very much at the core of everything we do. And, um, yeah, and, and that's really what drives me forward and, and working on the company to and also working with the patients and the, and the therapists, obviously, as well, to see what, what we can bring to them and just give them that part of independence back that they've lost, which I lost. And that was the worst thing of my whole accident. It was not being able to do any things independently anymore. Mm. Um, and yeah. so, so yeah. I think that that obviously has such an amazing, uh, uh, a hard impact on your motivation, on your, yeah, way of yeah. looking at life and so on as well. So yeah, no, I can, I can, I, I still like all. I'm getting flashbacks now, honestly, because uh, mm. like these these moments in medical school that I had were very profound, and I remember, you know, like it's ex- especially in that that acute period after an injury, there's mm. so much processing going on. And then you're like expected to get into rehab right away. And it is like, I did, I, I, I you know, it's heartbreaking to see, to be, to be honest, mm-hmm. probably one of the most heartbreaking things, especially when it's someone young and healthy, previously mm-hmm. healthy. Like it's, it's really, really difficult to watch someone go through that. So part of your, so it sounds like, you know, through VR, like how, how, how does VR, how does the concept that you created with creating therapy through virtual reality, how did, how does that differ from just everyday physical therapy and how does it mm. work better in ways? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're still going through clinical trials, especially longer term ones, um, to, to like really prove the outcomes on, on a long-term basis. But yeah, it's really based on the visual simulation that is not there currently in rehab is that today often like what they use is something, for example, you have like a wooden board with like small pegs inside. Mm -hmm. And like, if you go through stroke rehab or, or, and we focus in particular on upper upper limb rehab. So, and then people have to basically take this and move it around to the other side. And one it's, it's very, people don't see the point of doing it. It's very um, demotivating, not very engaging to go through it. Because of the lack of, for it's example, very, stroke like patients. Mund- very mundane. Yes, yes. And then also the, the, I mean, I've seen tools that they have and it looks like a, a, a toy for a kid, basic for, for a toddler. Mm. And so it's not when you already go through this very heavy experience of having a stroke, your mental health is, or your moral is being affected so badly. And then the tools that you get to go through rehab, you don't really see how this is, can actually help you improve your mobility because of the, the the basic tools that are in front of you. And, and yeah, so that's really why also a lot of physios and therapists and neurologists reach out to us because they often don't use the tools that they have today at their disposal. They try to find other ways to help patients progress, but because it's so limited, also time limited, they have between, depending on the countries, you would have like four to eight weeks of rehab, acute rehab, if you have a stroke. And if you don't, then don't have the proper tools, in particular for upper limb rehab, basically, and the compliance of the patient is not there, they don't adhere, they get frustrated, they don't do the exercises, and obviously the progress that they make within this limited time is very limited. And, and it's frustrating for the therapists and the clinicians themselves because they want to help, they have mm-hmm. limited time, they don't have the, the appropriate tools to actually help them. And that's where the visual stimulation then well, one, we can make it more engaging, obviously, which can, which, which will increase mm-hmm. compliance because we've seen people go from one minute engagement with the therapist to 10 yeah. minutes engagement with us and wanting yeah. to do it over and over again and people with severe cognitive issues. And, um, and so that's one aspect of it because let's, we let's, can increase compliance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want, I'm sorry. I just wanted to not lose this thought. The engagement yeah. part is so key here. Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking of like Nintendo Wii as you're talking about all of this. Mm-hmm. Because like I think me and my brothers we used to always play Nintendo Wii and Mario Kart, and it's like virtual reality essentially. Well, mm-hmm. you know, virtual. It gaming. is. It is still a virtual environment. Yeah. 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 But it's so engaging and so much fun. Mm-hmm. And you know, like you can recreate reality and make it engaging and fun mm-hmm. and interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's less mundane. And it, you know, like Monday for me, like if I, God forbid, this was ever me. Um, I struggle so much with mundane things. It's part mm-hmm. of me. I may be on the ADHD spectrum. I don't know, but mundane tasks just, just kill me. I need some kind of stimulation, something interesting to mm-hmm. be doing. Mm-hmm. And the last thing anybody wants to be doing after an injury is doing mundane 
repetitive tasks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, so when we do create, I guess we, we do create tasks that are functional movements that you would do in a daily basis, but we recreate them in a, in a much more engaging way. And we also give, so we create this 3D environment with virtual objects where people can, from day one, even if they don't have the physical strength to actually pick up a block, in the virtual world, they can pick up a block because the block does not have any weight. They can instantly interact with objects, do bilateral movements with both hands. Um, and we give challenges as well, which are like visual challenges or um, cognitive challenges, for example, where people stage stimulated and challenged within the environment. So they don't think about the, I guess, any repetitiveness that could be, could be, uh, put in, which we, we obviously try to avoid, but yeah, so that's really, really, um, I think a very important aspect of it. And then the fact that you give people, you take people out of this clinical environment, you bring them into this virtual world, even mm-hmm. if they're fully supported by the therapist still, because a lot of patients we've worked with, they, they had balance issues. They were not able to do it obviously on their own. So, but because of just pressing one button themselves within the virtual world, starting it themselves, even if then the, all the other settings were set up by the therapist. It's something that just, you can see patients are just uh, so, so um, happy about yeah. really um, to, yeah, so. Oh, that's beautiful. That's, that's, <laughs> that's beautiful. Um, it's, uh, it's really interesting. Like, can we describe just for someone listening, what is like, so with the VR technology that you're using, is it mm-hmm. the, the standardized, almost like kind of like snowboarding goggles that go over your eyes and then you have maybe joysticks or anything like that? Or Mm-mm-mm. Yes. Yeah. So, so we use, so you have like different VR headsets and the ones are like, we don't use the mobile phone based VR headsets or the cardboard ones. We use the higher end headsets. So it's like basically bigger goggles that you put on like ski goggles, I guess. And then you have controllers or not. So you, you can just have hand tracking where we have like one piano cognitive exercise where you would have to repeat a certain sequence. So it's both cognitive exercise, but at the same time training your fine motor skills as well. Um, so then you're just tracking your hands. And then we have other exercises where, where we actually use controllers or joysticks, I guess, where we then, uh, for example, do interactions with larger objects and so on as well. Um, yeah, and so, and that's really, yeah, the only thing that once people, um, and the headsets as well from, they will only get better. They will get lighter. They will uh, eventually, um, evolve to this, to normal glasses, the size of normal glasses, uh, that will take probably, yeah, I I would say in five years from now that they will be so much smaller than they are today. But, but yeah, so that's essentially it's people, um, go in it and we've worked with patients, 18 plus until um, people in their 90s. And I, wow. I have to say, once they knew how to do it, it was actually very easy for them to to get a hang of it and and use it. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, I went with my brother one time. We were in New York City and we were, uh, we went to this VR place, you know, just to check it out. And Mm-mm. my brother was like, hey, I'm going to try this uh, VR thing and, and like, he puts it on and he, th- there's like a plank that you like walk off the plank. Oh, yeah. yeah. And like, uh, <laughs> I guess like he, my brother had a heart attack <laughs> walking off this plank. He actually, <laughs> like it looked like he almost died in real life from <laughs> yeah, yeah. the reality of it, which for me was hilarious, but for him was scary. Uh, that, that shows the immersiveness, right? It's tricking your brain into you. You very much, you know, you know yourself, you're standing on the floor, but once you go into the environment, it's like, I can't move because there's this plank and then there's this massive yeah. void where, yeah. Well, what does, it very, do to you, what does it do to your brain that your brain just mm-hmm. automatically interprets this as reality? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a visual input, right? So you, yeah. and especially because of the, when we avoid any type of motion sickness within our experience, especially with our, with our patients. So it's, because there is no mismatch between your, what you're seeing in virtual reality and what you're actually feeling yourself body-wise. And then you have this 3D environment and the visual um, environment and also the, the physics works within this virtual world. Mm-hmm. Your your brain essentially interprets it, okay, this is a real environment, so we will be doing this real motions, real movements, etc. within this space. And I mean, that's essentially... 
a lot more research has to be done on that. And, and we are planning to do a, a trial at some point as well to really follow how the brain is, is, um, is really impacted because of like using virtual reality within rehab for a longer time. But, um, but it's essentially when you learn things, your neuroplasticity of your brain or the, your ability of your brain to learn and uh, to learn things uh, is, is affected by what you're doing. And so if you, from a very early stage onwards, can interact with objects, your brain essentially will, will adapt. If you forgot how to do it, we'll, we'll kind of try to rewire your brain so you can do that again oh, wow. um, in, in emotion-wise, for example. But if you don't do that and you don't learn, you don't train your brain or you, or you don't do these type of movements, even if it's in a virtual world, then obviously your brain just will not repair that if there's any repair possible, they will not, they will be, not be able to repair it. So that's essentially what we're, but also the physios is, is that visual stimulation aspect of going through rehab. Uh, I often compare it with, if you forget how to, I mean, we can be asleep, essentially, we take a toothbrush and we know how to, what to do movement wise. We can yeah, have yeah. like our eyes closed and we know what to do. Yeah. It's muscle memory. Uh, Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But if, if, if your brain is damaged and the part of your brain does not remember when you take a toothbrush, what to do with it, essentially you have to retrain it so that it becomes natural for you over time. And so that's, that's how I often compare because of with VR, when you're not able to do certain movements anymore, because mm -hmm. of this um, ability to train from a very early stage onwards again mm -hmm. with objects and functional movements, hopefully we can regain that as well. Yeah. Um, down the line. It so. makes so much sense. And even it just for me, I'm like thinking about this. I'm like, wait a minute. Did I used to do this like in my life? Because for me, like growing up, I used to play a lot of sports and I didn't know if other people did this or not. But for me, I used to always replay things in my head, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. certain movements, like, or like certain routes when I used to run a receiver route, I'd run mm -hmm. it through in my head and I'd mm -hmm. just replay it and I'd perfect it in my head. And I just, especially and when I'd be sleeping, I'd perfect it in my head and like, I just keep mm -hmm. thinking about it. And then the next day I would go and do it. And it was like, just smooth. And like, I'd feel like just running things through my head and practicing in my head would actually sometimes translate to me actually mm -hmm. performing better when I do it in real life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, there, we, am I just like, just. No, 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 no. We've actually like, worked. <laughs> Uh, we've worked very early on with a Paralympic athletes from mm -hmm. Great Britain. So he was a rower in a golden medal, golden medalist in 2012 for rowing. And he had a spinal injury actually. So he had um, a spinal tumor in his neck that left him uh, paralyzed from the waist down after surgery. And then upper limb was affected, affected like a stroke. So one part of his body was affected with lack of mobility. Mm -hmm. And when he was in the first time, I think it was in 2010 that he, he had his um, first paralyzation. So he's been paralyzed three times now because a tumor came back, etc. Um, sadly. But um, when he was in his hospital bed for the first time, he was paralyzed. He essentially was watching videos of himself. So he's, he had always been an athlete. So he was skiing first, then rowing, etc. cetera, um, some, some martial arts as well, I think. Um, and so when he, when he was basically not able to move his feet again and his toes and his leg, he essentially was watching himself move and he was imagine, imagining himself okay, I'm now actually moving my toe, I'm moving my leg. I'm, um, and he was actually, he was walking again after eight weeks. Um, so, so yeah. Wow. And then, then he had to retrain his upper limb again as well. So, uh, so yeah. And he was then training to go to the Paralympics in, um, uh, the 2016 ones, but then, yeah, sadly he couldn't go, um, because he, the tumor came back. So, wow. Yeah. So it's the, the human body and brain are just remarkable things. Do you see yeah. this? Do you see applications for this in other sectors, not in only rehab, but like performance training or areas where, you know, let's say, I don't know, just something that like you're trying to get really good at. Mm. You just get mm. through, you get good at it through VR first, and mm. then you go mm. and practice it in real life when you mm. like, because maybe you don't have access to some major equipment or thing that you need to do your sport or whatever, but. Yeah, practicing yeah. it through a reality will wire your brain in a way. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I think actually that the train, the VR training space is, is probably the biggest of the whole VR space today is, um, or XR space uh, in training is that um, you can, yeah, it's being used in 
for example, in manufacturing, where it's more in, in terms of learning how to do something with like, a, for example, car manufacturing, where they have like this new car coming in and they actually want to learn already how they're doing it. In football training, soccer, for example, is being used where you have a big, um, well, basically you have, uh, you're, you're, you're learning certain uh, strategic plays with virtual balls, golf, it's mm. being used, cricket, for example, rugby, um, where it's used in different areas of performance training, where, for example, one, it's to train you as an individual in terms of your, for example, throwing capacity, but also for, for example, for people that are injured within sports to actually like post, um, like when they, they've gone through their initial rehab, but still are not um, well enough to actually play on the field, they can, or maybe not able to like throw the or hold the ball in a very good way. So they can actually do it virtually as well. Mm. Um, from a rugby perspective in rugby, for example, as well, it's being used as, um, where you actually are, um, one of the players and then you see the other players on the fields. So you can try to understand gameplay, um, wow. as well. So, or American football. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, so. yeah, I can't get that wrong here in America. <laughs> um, so that's, yeah, so that's, that's kind of, yeah, it's, it's uh, definitely, and it has yeah, shown really great results there as well. So, yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I want to dive in at one more, one more, we're going to geek out on some more science stuff and then we'll go into like mm -hmm. how you built this, uh, company. Um, Thanks. For what are the stimuli like for to com to create a completely immersive experience, which you've named your company Immersive Rehab? Mm -hmm. uh, but what are the stimuli that are still missing in VR that we that still need to be incorporated? Mm -hmm. Where do you see it happen? Where it could be almost indistinguishable from your everyday experience? Mm. Yeah, I, I think haptics is something that is missing still today. I mean, there's like, haptics. What are, I mean, what are, what are haptics? Yeah, exactly. exactly. I'll, I'll, so I'll explain. So for example, if when we are touching something like an object, like when I'm touching my hands, I'm, I, I feel it. So you have the feeling of touching the object and when you create, so haptics is really around creating physical touch essentially, or pressure, for example, when you mechanical pressure, when you um, are, for example, in surgical training, like when you're drilling into a bone, you will actually get some feedback. Um, feeling that you're drilling into this because there's mechanical feedback or force feedback to your hands when you're doing it in virtual reality um and then yeah other things so when you're when you're doing that especially in our situation as well when people are engaging with objects so we we try to simulate touch by playing around with light and visual stimulation today and audio stimulation as well so we try to simulate that also by the the way our, for example, objects are being um, created, for example, very light, spongy objects, you, are, you immediately know if you touch them, they will be like bouncy and so yeah, on. Yeah. So that's mm -hmm. a way to recreate touch. But the actual physical touch in virtual reality um, of like when you when you grab an object that you actually feel very well that you're actually holding this object like a ball or something, is still very basic. And um, there, there's like this haptic suits that you can put on when someone would push you in VR, you could feel it. But one is not practical in healthcare because mm. it's it's just not practical. It's not washable. It's very expensive. Um, there's gloves, for example, that exist. Also, those gloves are not really washable, etc. They're not really great, the greatest in the experience. But there's a lot of development going on there to try to help improve that and and that's something that will be very exciting in the coming years to see how that will be basically evolving and become just a practical thing to use not just this very heavy suit that costs like i don't know one thousand pounds or ten thousand pounds for the full suit mm -hmm. which is which is not really practical to put on yeah. so i think that is that is audio as well i mean there's great advancements in terms of um audio that gives like spatial audio that gives you full audio around uh, there's there's incredible but i think yeah the more people will experience it the better this will become as well because still very few people have experienced virtual reality also from a consumer perspective even though, even though it's growing very fast now yeah. with the more consumer headsets but but i think that that as well the more people give feedback the better an experience will become right so that's that's something that also will will become but i think for healthcare in particular having a, like a haptic experience a touch experience that is practical, washable, sterilizable, and just great as an experience, I think is still missing today. Mm. So, 
Yeah. What, what, what realms outside of just therapy do you see this being applied to in, in healthcare? Do you see any other applications for it? Yeah, surgical training, for example, that's mm. something that that uh, where it's where it's growing very fast as well. Where um, people, well, students, for example, medical students, but also surgeons, are using it to um, to train a certain procedure because one, they have very few time as well themselves. They're so busy, especially well, both for the students and for the practicing physicians. Mm-hmm. Is when when, for example, a new implant comes to the market and then now they have like these, you have big manuals and so on to look through it, I guess, to learn how to do it, but time is very limited. So if they can do this practicing already prior or, or, or from a home setting and so on, they gain a lot of time. And, mm-hmm. um, okay. yeah. So this is a, this is basically, it's a learning tool and anything mm-hmm. that requires a degree of learning or practice can pretty much be applied to this. So like any procedure, colonoscopies probably yeah colon- i've done a colonoscopy actually in virtual reality uh, yeah oh, wow. it's uh <laughs> yeah i would like so it's like with a small robot so uh, yeah. coming back to our haptic discussion so then you actually feel when you're going inside as, as and so on as well it's oh, uh wow. yeah but again yeah there the precision of for example cutting or going into and so on has evolved significantly because of the way the headsets have evolved, the tracking has evolved and so on. So that's really helped progress, especially the training space in virtual reality for surgeons, for example, as well. So. Right. It makes things more available. I mean, you mm-hmm. can't have a hundred people training, a clo- you know, you don't have a bunch of people to insert tubes into their butts, you know, you only have a limited amount of people to do that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so that's, yeah, I think as, as also for students. Yeah, exactly. So there's, very limited resources at universities as well. They don't have all the funds to buy these massive simulation tools, for example, as well, where VR headsets you put on and essentially, and it's not a really high cost as well. So, so yeah. it's a huge benefit. Yeah. Making butts available to everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but yeah, it's so important anyways, uh, to do that, uh, yeah. to get, to have access to education in any situation. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's super cool. And, um, I can, uh, you know, I imagine during COVID, this is probably also taken off in a way with with physical therapy being more limited, at least in person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is something that is obviously uh, from a, from a monitoring perspective, or, um, it is something that will only grow in the future. It is Mm -hmm. something that, especially now with the reduced amount of of therapy uh, and the lack of options that they have available Mm -hmm. is, is then a tool that, that you could use to help patients obviously progress aside from a zoom meeting Mm -hmm. is something that, that is very much needed today. And, and there are still, um, as I, as I was mentioning earlier, there are definitely still pain, pain points in deploying telemedicine, telehealth solution, digital health in general, uh, which are, from an implementation perspective, um, obviously, um, yeah, something that will be figured out in, in the more it's being used and, and, and so on, but, but it will never go away anymore. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that that is really for the benefit of the patient, a really positive thing. Yeah. So. Well, it, so it is something that you can use at home though. So you don't, yeah. mess it. Mm. is there a training module online or uh, that that patient follows or do they have to be accompanied by a therapist? Yes. Yeah, so the, I mean, the, so initially they will use it with the therapist or the clinician in a, in a hospital setting or in a community hospital setting or, or a ther- therapist practice. Once they know how to use it, then obviously they will, um, they will then be able to, to do it in a home setting, uh, whether alone or with a carer. Um, but yeah, there, there will, there, there will always be a manual for them so that they can really follow how how to use it, how to set it up correctly and, and so on as well. And I think, yeah, setting up, for example, in a home setting is something that you want to ensure that that is being done correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good thing with the headsets, especially how they are evolving. The more they are evolving, the easier it becomes and it becomes just putting on the headset, pressing play and you're good to go um, compared to five years ago. So I think that's only going to get better uh, and easier as well down the line. Um, yeah. But yeah, education is a big part of it. So education for both clinicians, therapists, and the patients as well. So they fully understand what the aim is essentially, what they get out of it, and how they can understand what, how they're progressing as well. So 
Wow. So cool. So cool. Um, okay. Let's, uh, let, we're going to, we're going to switch gears for a little bit. And, um, so I, I know, I know starting a business like this could not have been easy. Um, and yeah, it's, <laughs> so it's, I, I want to go into the, how, how did you, how yeah. did you build this company? Like walk me through it step, like, mm. not, you know, I'm sure it'll take a long time, but like just on a chronologic timeline kind of story, like yeah, how yeah, did you, yeah. how did you start this company? Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, so obviously the idea was in my head. It started growing, evolving and, um, uh, I started in 2010. This, well, I guess between 2010, I would say probably between 2012 when I was basically getting better from my, after my rehab. So, uh, even though there, the idea started evolving in, in terms of, I guess, how can we change it and so on as well. But until 2015, really it was something that was going around in my head and then in 2016, uh, so I was I was very much immersed from 2015 already in the. I've always worked within medical technology, but then I immersed myself within digital health specifically from 2015 onwards, and, and it was such a fascinating space as well. And then I I set up the um, I decided to apply for an accelerator program uh, that was taking in early stage companies, so companies that just had an idea. They would give a small amount of funding. They became a shareholder then, and they were purely tech for good accelerator program that um, focused on healthcare, education, uh, and so on. I did a, the reason why I applied. Maybe I should tell that first is that because obviously starting a company, it's, it kind of has to feel right, and that's why I guess there was like five years in between before anything happened. Is I did a course, um, a music camp, actually a rock camp. Um, the, the June before I actually started the company in July then. And it was such a motivational boost it was with 20 women. We formed rock bands over a weekend. We wrote a song, we performed live in front of hundred people. And because I love music and I love to make it, I had never been in a band before. And, uh, but it was such an, an amazing experience. And I just had this confidence boost that I needed to, to apply for this program where the deadline was the next week. And I felt just, uh, put it in and see what happens. And I got accepted and mm-hmm. that's really how everything got started. Okay. So I quit my job. I quit my job, full-time job. I fully went into it for like the full three months of the program. And then, yeah, from then onwards, I guess everything <laughs> just kind of started evolving. And that's yeah, it, it's been a very, I mean, very much a roller coaster journey though, like any, yeah. any starting a company is that uh, yeah, so, met met some really amazing people along the way as well. So, so, so prior to you, so you went into an accelerator program, and the program mm-hmm. kind of like launched you through and gave yeah. you the support and the resources you needed. Did you mm-hmm. did you have a business plan, an idea, or do, did you have a co-founder with you when you first started, or was it just you? It was just me. Yeah, so I was just, I'm a sole founder still. Um, so uh, essentially, we yeah, I just went in it on my own with wow. an idea, and then. Did you meet any people that helped facilitate this for you? Yes. I mean, absolutely. Also the people from the accelerator program who are also my, my shareholders still today, but they, mm-hmm. yeah, they connected me with some amazing people, both from the investment space, for example, just mentors that actually went through it, entrepreneurs that went through the journey themselves. Mm-hmm. We had a great group of 11 startups, very different startups. But we just fit it and we we just yeah we we were a group that were giving each other really feedback honest feedback as well which which was very helpful i think having this group of 11 startups that were really very different but very compatible with each other and um and yeah so and then yeah along the way obviously then once this journey got started i yeah i'm meeting a lot of other people along the way that i would not have been able to do what i've what, or get this far without their support at all. Um, so, so yeah, I'm very grateful to many people who offered their time, offered their kind of thoughts or made a connection with someone that then brought in, ah, oh, let's this clinical clinician or patient and so on. So yeah, um, it's been very much a very collaborative effort, even though I started as one person, it's been a collaborative effort so far. Uh, and that's, that's been really the great thing as yeah. well. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a unique story. I think not a lot of people start out, like it's hard to start something on your own. 
Um, it's, it's like, I, I don't think people realize how difficult it is when you're doing it by mm. yourself. Mm. Uh, I, I'm, I'm working on something right now by myself and I'm like, I like, this is hard. This mm -hmm. is, this is so hard. And I, I yeah. I'm almost like, I wish I need to, I want, I wish I had the right person that could, you know, be my number two and like mm. working with this, but like, it's hard to find that person. that's also just as passionate as you are about something. And, you know, yeah. you have that trust and rapport. It's not, a, it's not an easy thing to do, but no, no, absolutely not. I, I, and I think I've been very lucky with the people that I've worked with in the, uh, in the past and, and, and now, and, but, but yeah, I think it's the fact that I had my own accident, uh, I think helped just to stay motivated and stay focused and try to just keep pushing and then keep connecting with people and yeah. Yeah, I think that that's really helped me a lot just because I'm I'm in it as a patient myself. And, and I think without having maybe that background story, I don't know what would have happened with with me with the hard times during the company. But because I I had my own story, I think it's yeah, it's what kept me going. And then all the patients we've worked with as well. And yeah, seeing how they responded to it and respond to it. I, yeah, it's it's what keeps me going every day. So, yeah. yeah. I love that. That's, that's, uh, honestly, that's a recurring theme with people who are really successful. Um, it's like, uh, it's very, it ha like you have to be doing something personal to you. Like it has to be your mission. Like it doesn't come from anywhere, you know, it comes from something personal that really matters to you. And, um, like that's so important. And, uh, mm -hmm. It took me a while, like for me, like I had to figure out what is it that I am like, that is something that's deeply personal to me that mm. matters to me. That's going to let me, it's going to help me push through those hard times. And, mm. um, when I finally, when those things started to come together and like, uh, you know, that, that, that drive comes out of you, you know, and I tell that to these, I tell that to, you know, anybody that who are like some of the pre-meds or ment students that I mentor, mm. I, tell them that like it has to be deeply personal to you whether that's mm -hmm. going into medicine especially wanting to become a doctor it has to be personal mm -hmm. um it can be because your parents want you to become a doctor or you think it's cool or you know mm -hmm. for any of those reasons uh, yeah because it's very hard as well i mean the times you go through as a doctor it's very hard long hours very hard emotional times as well at times so yeah 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 so that i mean amazing the number one that you were able to do this on your own and, and, and started on your own. And, uh, what were like, maybe just for some other, uh, you know, digital health entrepreneurs, people mm. in the digital health space, what do you think is changing right now? And, you know, or what, what overlaps do you see happening between virtual reality and digital health and maybe telemedicine and things of that sort? Mm. Because right now this, this telemedicine digital health space, space is huge. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, lots of companies are starting, lots of companies are, you know, looking for doctors and patients and all of the sorts. Where, like, where is this all going in, in your hmm. mind? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think like five, a bit more than like in 2015, for example, I mean, digital health, obviously IT systems have, have always been around, but the digital health of today has very much grown over the past five years. And, but let's, five years ago, it was very much a bit like the wild west regulatory matters or guidelines were very limited in the sense that, um, yeah, putting out a software, but not doing the proper clinical trials, um, and not knowing how it would impact patients. I, I come again, I come back to the patient outcomes essentially is that I, I see digital health very much as, as a, I mean, depending on what type of digital health it is, but as, as soon as it impacts, a patient's health from a diagnostic perspective or treatment perspective, you have to treat it as putting a drug into a patient because you're giving something to a patient and you have to ensure that you don't make their condition worse because of what, what you're giving to them. Um, and so the same principles essentially yeah, um, are, are valid here in terms of we can't do any harm to patients. And I think five years ago when, when for example, certain mental health solutions were brought out without really having the proof in terms of claiming that they would help patients, but actually not really, um, well, being quite dangerous in the end as well. And, but they then now hit the wall because regulatory, um, guidelines are much more 
uh, outline now by the FDA, for example, they have now set up a full digital health department as well. Um, and, and that covers telemedicine, telehealth, and so on as well. And I think as, as hard as it is to go through regulatory approvals, et cetera, but it is very necessary and it is very important, especially when you deal with patients' health and, and their future essentially. And, and, and I think because of that, and also in a lot of different regions, it because of having that implementation much much more strongly than than five years ago um is that it will actually boost this adoption much further as well because the credibility of digital health solutions will grow because of it because of the rigor that is necessary when you put a digital health solution or digital therapeutic solution out in the market you actually have to prove that it works that it's not harming patients etc and yeah, it it, it 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 is just a longer process, obviously, than to go to market. But it is very important, and I think it it is something that is was necessary for the space to ensure that it's that it will um, that that for example, telehealth and telemedicine goes beyond the Zoom call, goes beyond that Skype call, but actually is about monitoring patients remotely and actually monitoring um, vital signs and being able to, for example. Uh, diagnose something from uh, remotely as well, but that is reliable and that, that clinicians can be confident to use in, using in their practice essentially. And so, so yeah, I think that's 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 the evolution that I've seen as well over the past years. And and yeah, it, it will indeed only grow in the future. Um, um, and and it's great to see like a lot of different hospitals are setting up their own digital health or telehealth departments as well to ensure or virtual health departments to ensure that actually they can do it in a make it part of standard care mm -hmm. essentially and yeah. i think that is very key to get it part of standard care get it reimbursed as well what is very important for us me as a patient i guess as well to have it accessible to as many patients as possible that it that it's not the solution that is only used by the wealthy ones mm -hmm. essentially because i think if approached in the correct way, digital health can really empower people to access healthcare essentially in a more mm -hmm. equitable manner. Um, but it, obviously, you have to, um, yeah, from a government's perspective and so on as well, uh, allow that to happen. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it goes back to what you, what you, what we talked about earlier, just patient outcome oriented. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to be able to measure objectively: is this are the outcomes from this beneficial and in what ways are they beneficial? Are they just beneficial for follow-ups? Are they just beneficial for, you know, I think what, I think for, you know, from what I've seen, I think the fact that we were, we didn't get reimbursed for talking on the phone with a patient or spending time doing work, which is not reimbursable. Digital health has kind of filled that gap in, in a way where things are now reimbursable, which they should be. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but who knows? Who knows where this all goes? It's a very interesting space. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you are in a very, very interesting space, <laughs> and it's gonna. Yeah, it evolve. is. It is very fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So where where is your company headed now? What are you guys uh, up to next? And you know, what do you have planned for the next you know five to ten years out? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. So, so the initial the initial stages are completing our phase three trials. So really larger trials that we will be running um, in Europe, the US and Canada. And then, yeah, I mean, past that, it's really about getting getting the solutions reimbursed um, by, um, for example, also taken up within the Medicare Medicaid plans mm -hmm. uh, in the US so that we can ensure a much wider spread of our solution. We've had interest from other regions like South Africa, Latin America, uh, India, for example, uh, Japan. So that's basically the plan for after we tackle mm -hmm. Europe, the US and Canada, um, because those are major regions as well in terms of, for example, Japan has one of the largest MS populations in the world. Um, so, so yeah, to ensure that we can actually offer our solution much more internationally as well. Um, and there's the benefits from obviously having a digital solution as well is that 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 makes it more possible as well. So, um, so, so yeah, and, and yeah, just on growing the team further, obviously with, with amazing people, I think 
I could never do what I do without um, having amazing people around me and and I yeah, uh, yeah. and yeah enjoying the journey I think that that is very important in in, in I guess in everything we do but but that, that would be the plan for the for the next yeah. five to ten years yeah awesome and well, how big of a team are you right now we're still a small team yeah but uh, we are growing actually hopefully in the next coming months um, so so yeah so that will be exciting in terms of uh, getting some new people on board as well uh um remotely <laughs> mm-hmm. these days so that's that, that's all good um and and yeah yeah just just ensuring that we have also a team in the US at some point as well so that we can grow uh, some some people there um, mm-hmm. um so you're right now yeah. mostly in london correct uh, yeah, we're based around Europe, but yeah, but yeah. based out of London. Uh, so okay. the headquarters is based in London. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then um, any plans to come over to the US yet, or like that's just uh, um, yes. Sure. I mean, yeah, that was it's definitely in the plans. Um, yeah, we don't know yet when kind of that will. We already work with hospitals in the US, so that's mm-hmm. the we do that already. Um, but we don't know yet. Yeah, it's still a bit unclear when. We will be able to set up an office there, for example, mm. um, with the current situation, but hopefully soon. So that that that's and Boston is a big uh, yeah. uh, life sciences hub. So that would be definitely yeah. uh, a there's great someone, place to be. There's someone yeah. I want to connect you with off we'll talk off camera, but there's somebody mm. that really like I really think that you guys would hit it off who's also in great. this yeah. um, I'd love to connect you with him. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, we can we'll talk off camera, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so this has been really fun. Um, I think that like uh, I, I wanna I wanna do this again sometime if you don't mind. Sure. <laughs> because like yeah. I, I, I you're very fun to talk to in this space because I can tell how passionate you are about it. And um it's just it's such an exciting exciting space. And um are you on Clubhouse by chance? I am, yeah, yeah, yeah. You I are? just okay. joined like two weeks ago, I think. You yeah. Did? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, shoot, yeah. we should have done this on Clubhouse. All right, it's okay. We'll do it next uh, yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Uh, I'd love to do a room with you sometime and just uh, sure. just talk, you know, um, yeah. virtual reality on Clubhouse. Maybe. We okay, can great. Play. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I'll be up right. for that. Um, right. Where can people follow you and learn more about you? Yeah, yeah. So they can go to the website, which is immersiverehab.com. Um, follow us on Twitter at Immersive Rehab. Um, the same goes for Instagram. Um, Twitter is the most active one, I would say, from a social media perspective, LinkedIn as well. So we have a Immersive Rehab page. Um, yeah, so I guess that would be the main main source of information um, for, for us uh, at the moment. So, yeah. Okay, perfect. All right, guys. Well, you know where to find her. Uh, Thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was very, it's great to talk and uh, looking forward to our next conversations then. 